0: I wonder if you've ever had a day full of like a bunch of hard work, like strenuous or mentally fatiguing, that during the day, as you're going through it, or maybe even a season that you're in, you're daydreaming about the end of the day, right? You're in the middle of the muck, but you're thinking about the end of the muck. Anybody? So like you're out in the yard, it's hot, it's sweaty, you're working, you're grimy, you're filthy, and you're thinking about the ice-cold shower, And the even colder glass of lemonade. And some chips and salsa that just seems right. Like something salty after you've been sweating a lot. Right? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Chips and salsa? Okay. Praise God. See you at Chewies later. And the, the best part, like what I really think about is like cool, clean, crisp sheets. At the end of the night, the fan blowing... Falling asleep, exhausted, the right kind of exhausted. Not weary, just exhausted. It's like crossing the finish line. While you're in the race, I don't know if you're ever a runner. I was a runner in high school and I was terrible at it, like really bad. I need a hot pocket, go run 800 meters, which is only twice around the track. But after like the first 10 steps, I'm already thinking about the end. Then I get to the end. I puke out my hot pocket. True story. But I'm so glad that the race is over done. And what we're discussing today is this kind of idea that we've been daydreaming for the finish line for so long here at Illuminate Church, at least 11 years we've been in existence. Today's message is called victory in the promised land. It's that feeling at the end of the race when you cross the line and what happens there? God wanted at the very beginning to make his name famous just like we do. And when I say that we want to make the name of Jesus famous, I'm not talking about popularity. I'm not talking about fame as the world knows it. What I mean is that every heart in our region would think of Jesus first. Kids at night want to be clamoring for a movie or this or that. Uh, people in their homes, they're thinking about Jesus it's the lens through which everything comes through. It's what gives life, what gives hope, what gives purpose to every person. And that's how the name of Jesus becomes famous. I'm not talking about a popularity contest. Right? God wanted the same at the beginning, that everybody would know his name, know his power, know his love, know his will for their life, that they could live in peace with God. He wanted that to happen. So what did God do? He hatched a plan where he chose a certain group of people and he gave them a certain place, right? That people were called the Hebrew people or the eventually called the Israelites or even today called the Jews, right? This group of people God hand-selected on the earth and then he gave them a place and that place is called the promised land. Everyone say promised land. Also known as the Holy Land, now it's known as Israel, and we can talk about what the name of Israel means. is amazing, but essentially it means God wins, God perseveres in the end. The journey for the people of God to get to this promised land was wild, arduous, incredible, it all started with Abram. I'm going to read out of Genesis chapter 12, but I want you and your Bibles to go to Joshua chapter 5. Because we're really going to spend time in Joshua chapter 5. But in Genesis chapter 12, the selection of these people begins with a man named Abram. Verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, who becomes Father Abraham, who had many sons and many sons had. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people. Go from your father's household to the land I will show you. He's picking a people and a place. I will make you into a great nation. I, the Lord God, will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God picked a people to bless so that they could then bless the nations. How? Letting the nations know about the Holy One, about the Lord our God, the King, right? This is the plan. God's picking the people to make himself known to all peoples, and he blessed the people that he chose. But as the story goes, uh, and and listen, I'm going to fly through a lot of things, and the details aren't what necessarily matters here this morning. I mean, we could talk details after service if you want to. We could have a little hangout and talk about them. Really, what I want you to experience, if we can this morning, is the long journey of these people as they got to the promised land. All right, it starts with a man named Abram. I got this little, uh, uh, do we have the little uh, family tree thing here? Yeah, Abram's up there. He has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And while all this is going on, the people have kind of moved and checking out the promised land. It's called Canaan at the time. And while they're there, there's a massive famine And the Lord has already provided, this is one of the details, I just don't have time to dive into today, but God saves them and brings them down to Egypt through one of the 12 sons named Joseph, he's son 11 there. And they get to Egypt and they're saved from the famine, and then they are in Egypt for quite a while. from, From the time of Abram to the time of Joseph saving his people in Egypt is 220 years, right? 220 years have passed. Just anybody want to take a guess how many years the United States has been a nation? Let me just do the math. 247. So roughly the entire existence of the United States of America has transpired between Abram coming down and finally they end up in Egypt by God's saving hand through one of the sons of Egypt, our sons of Israel, Joseph here, right? Jacob's, by the way, he's, he's the one who gets his name changed to Israel when he wrestles with God and there's a, whole, a bunch of details. I'm just flying through here. So then they get to Israel, um, excuse me, Egypt, and in Egypt they begin to multiply. They become so numerous that Pharaoh puts them into slavery. They are in Egypt for 430 years. It's, we say this number all the time, but we don't really think about the meaning of 430 years, nearly double the time of our nation. They're there. All combined so far, it's been 650 years since Abram's been told, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have a home, the promised land. We've been waiting 11 years as a church, just so we're all together. And some of you that were in the church that was previous to this one have been waiting maybe 20, I don't know, 650. 50 years, and then if you know the story, God sends Moses. Moses says, let my people go, and Pharaoh lets them go. There's a whole Passover thing. Again, details, incredible details, amazing parts of the story. They walk through the Red Sea. They get to the Jordan River, and there at the Jordan River, they have a faith crisis, and after 650 years, they get turned around. None shall enter. They wander around in the desert for 40 more years. 40, that's Four times roughly the length of our church's history, they wandered in the wilderness, waiting to enter into the promised land. Woo! And then finally, 690 years after Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the people of God enter the promised land under Joshua's command. Woo! Yeah! We made it! Hallelujah! Let's open, some, let's open some barrels of wine. Let's eat figs, make tents and villages, and be a family. I don't know if you read your Bible, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, called the Torah, the Pentateuch, right? Then you get Joshua. They enter the Promised Land, and the first Thing they have to do in the promised land is fight. Like, for real, God? 690 years, we thought we were going to cross the finish line, kick back in a hammock, and be like, peace out, homies! But that's not what happened. You better know this truth. Write it down. Enemies still lurk in the promised land. Where we're headed as a church in just a few months is not a season to kick back our heels and take it easy and say, hey, we made it. Look, at 11 years. It's been 11 years, right? It's time to fight as soon as we get to the promised land. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Enemies lurking. Isn't this the curveball of all curveballs? Like they cross over the Jordan and there in front of them is the oldest city in civilization, Jericho. May, excuse me, March of 2025. Come with me to Israel and you can see it for yourself. It's right there. Like, wait, this is it? Yeah, that's it. We'll have lunch together in Jericho. You you just want to be there, okay? Just start saving your pennies. That's all I'm telling you now. So you finally get to what you think is the finish line. You're ready to receive your reward, and the Lord says, nope, you got to get back on the, the starting line, and let's go again. I don't know if you've ever felt this. Like, hey, once I get there, then I'll be able to rest. Like, if I just get married, all my problems are going to go away. If I just get divorced, all my problems will go away. If I just get that new job, then whoo! If I just get that raise, then yeah. If I just get that spiritual breakthrough, then woo! Go on that vacation. Just got back from one. Enemy's still lurking. Just saying. What you think is the promised land, well, the promised land still has enemies. So while we're talking about the ancient church and while we're talking about our today church, you can also use this in your own mind and heart. There may be a season that you're wandering through and you want to get to the finish line, but just be aware. Beware. When you get to the finish line, there's an enemy lurking there until we get to heaven. Lord, may that come. In Jesus' name, I'm ready. Let's just go. So, I want you to take a quick journey with me. I'm going to look through the book of Joshua super quick. Again, it's not the details that matter as much as the journey. Joshua chapter 1, the Lord gives the command of the Israelite people to Joshua, and he gives him the confidence to command. He says to him in Joshua chapter 1, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, be strong and courageous. One time even saying, be strong and very courageous, Why would God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous unless there was an enemy to fight? If you don't need courage, then there's no enemy to fight. But God knew what he was about to face. So he says, listen to me, Joshua, one, two, three, four, five, four times. Be strong and courageous. Let God's word be true to us today too. Where we are headed, what he wants from this church in this region, we need to be strong and very courageous. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong. Be courageous. courageous. You sounded like you're talking them up for a checkers match. We're going to spiritual battle with the enemy. Say, be strong. Be Be courageous. courageous. You're going to need it. The Lord knows. Joshua chapter 2, we get the story of Rahab, this prostitute who's included in the story of Jesus. Just think about that for a minute the chief of all sinners included in the saving story of Jesus. If Rahab can be included, then we certainly can be included. A beautiful, wonderful, incredible story. We ain't got time for that today. Joshua chapter 3, the crossing of the Jordan. While it's at flood stage, the elders put their toe in the water. The water splits. They walk across Joshua chapter 4. I told you we're going fast. The Lord says, hey, you're going to forget this moment. So before the rivers close back up, go in and pick 12 stones, stack them up on this side so that when your children see them, you'll say, yeah, this is when the Lord brought us out of the wilderness. This is a testimony. You know, I've said it before. We are fearful because we are forgetful, but we're going to be faithful because we remember the good works of God in our life. A little bit later, and this fall, we're going to celebrate our time here at the high school. We're going to have a time of remembrance, testifying to all that God has done, not forgetting the season and what God is doing. That's going to happen a little bit later on in the fall. And then we get to Joshua chapter 5 and Joshua chapter 6. It's in Joshua chapter 6 we find a pattern that you can find all throughout Scripture. I'm going to show it to you just a little bit today. But if you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll see this pattern over and over and over again. We see it right here in Joshua chapter 5 and 6 as they enter the promised land. So let's learn it for as we enter our promised land, we can do the same. Here it is. Consecration, provision, obedience, victory. Consecration, provision, obedience, victory. Victory, you say it. Consecration. Y'all still sound like you're at a checkers match. Or maybe like on the seventh hole on a Thursday of a golf tournament. We're talking about taking out the bully of the souls of the people in our region, bringing him to his knees at the name of. Of Jesus something in you has got to rise up with gumption like it did for Abram like it did for Joshua like it did for the apostles like it did for Jesus not on my watch they all said and now the world looks at us as it says in Hamilton history has its eyes on you on us Joshua chapter 5 and 6, consecration, provision, obedience, victory. Consecration comes in Joshua chapter 5, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Not again, right? Once is enough. See, what happened is that the people who had been circumcised, let me back up, I'm going so fast. Circumcision was a sign of consecration. Consecrating meaning to be separated out to the Lord. I'm separating out. I've been a part of the world. I've been touched by the world. All the world's gunk is on me, but I'm stepping out of the muck and being set apart to the Lord. The Lord did that with the Israelites through circumcision. Those that had been circumcised died in the wilderness those 40 years. And so those that entered into the promised land had not been circumcised. And the Lord said, it's time for consecration. Circumcise the Israelites again. And so they did that. Chop, chop. wee! All that fun. Provision, Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Watch this. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. So they've crossed over the Jordan River. They're on the plains. Jericho's there, right? The Israelites celebrated the Passover. Again, a great detail. I'm just flying. Uh, The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan for 40 years. They had eaten this, this miracle bread that showed up on the ground every morning, except for Sunday, and they would collect it. And manna just meant, what's that? What is that? Right? It was a sweet kind of like honeycomb bread. And that's all they had to eat for 40 years, except for some quail occasionally. Right? 40 years of eating this bread. They walk into the promised land, they eat the Passover meal, and that very day, the produce of the promised land became theirs. And they ate their full of it. God was providing for them strength. For what is about to come, he consecrated them. Then he provided for them. Then he asked them to be obedient. Joshua chapter 6. Look at this. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. So they're going to march 13 times in total with the priests blowing the trumpets. Right? When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Right, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. Josh is like, "All right," goes to the people. He said, "All right, we're gonna take out the city." They're like, "How?" Well, we're all gonna have to join the marching band. Y'all been making fun of the high school marching band for too long. That ends today. In the name of Jesus, it's the marching band that gets the victory. Can I get an amen? amen. I played the trombone. Anybody in the marching band? Okay, this is our moment of redemption right here. Okay, just, okay, good. Glad you and I had this moment. So they're like, all right, that's a a terrible plan. Like we have all these fighting men and you want us to walk around the city for six days and on the seventh day, seven times, and then we're going to blow a trumpet. And we're all going to yell, boo! And we're going to win. And Joshua's like, that's what God said. And if God said it, we do it. So get in line. And that's what they did. And look what happens, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Consecration, provision, obedience to even something that sounds completely ridiculous, but God said it. And then comes a victory. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? Somebody say. Somebody talked back to me. Come on, are you here? Yeah, yeah. okay, good, good, good. Yeah. All right, it happens again. This same pattern, you can see it with Jesus institutes the new promised land, the new covenant that he gives us. The consecration comes in the Last Supper, which signifies his sacrifice for sins and salvation. It separates people out who put their faith in Jesus. And they have this Last Supper together. Then the provision comes at Pentecost, Again, another detail, but let me just tell you, Acts chapter 2, the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to the church. And the church has never been the same. Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit is lifted up. Then, obedience, you can find it in the entire book of Acts. You're talking about guys like Peter and Paul who are whipped and beaten. Stephen who is stoned to death. The apostles taking the message of the gospel out to everybody who will listen. Under great persecution and threat of bodily harm. Yet they obeyed, and the result is victory. What does victory look like? 2,000 years later, the church is still standing. I'm on this platform preaching because of what Peter and Paul obeyed 2,000 years ago, right? Have you done anything that's lasted 2,000 years yet? You're about to. I really believe it. I really believe it. Consecration, provision, obedience, victory. He picked a people. He picked a place. Then he gave them a mission. I want you to know you can do this in your own personal life. You can consecrate yourself to the Lord. Set aside a season, really the rest of your life, to be holy. I'm not going to dabble with the world. I want to be set apart I want to be sincere in my prayer. I want to be sincere in my devotion and the reading of his word. Then you look for provision, and you're most likely going to find that provision right here in his word. This is the bread of life. Jesus Christ is the word. He is the bread of life. This is the bread, the provision for us. And then obedience. We believe here at Illuminate Church in something called hear, believe, obey. He says it. We believe it's him saying it. And now we just got to do it. Even if it sounds like marching around the city and shouting. Like, really? Yeah, really. Do that. Trust God. And then you will see the victory. It's kind of a simple but eternal formula that you can apply to your life. And as we approach the promised land, it's what we're going to do together to ensure that the bully of the souls of all these people who's out here, keeping them oppressed and in sin, will finally be broken through. Because my Bible tells me that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? 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 So, here's what we're going to do. Consecration. Well, it's going to start today with communion. In just a few moments, in the middle of the service, we're going to practice holy communion together to consecrate ourselves just as the disciples did way back when. Not only that, but during our soft launch series, we're going to do some consecration. What's that? Well, before the building is given to the world, We're just going to meet as a family there a few times. The first time will be what's called an anointing service. Everyone say anointing. It'll be the very first service ever at the brand new building. It's going to happen on a weeknight. You're going to have to miss work or just move everything, move heaven and earth to make sure you're there. We're flying people in from all over who work at churches. That's why it's not going to be on a weekend so they can get back to their churches. And I want you to be there for that special night as we anoint the building We give it over to the Lord, and we ask for his anointing on everything that's about to happen in that place. Then we'll have a couple Sundays of soft launches where it's just us at the church, partly doing this whole consecration bit and hearing about how we can uh, launch the church successfully, but also just to figure things out at the building. Like, hey, this toilet don't flush right, or this check-in thing don't work right, or when we parked, I parked over this nail. And uh, We just want the body to communicate to us and say, hey, this works great, this doesn't work great. Every business does soft launches, right? You understand this concept. It's going to be wonderful. We'll have QR codes everywhere. You just point your phone and say, hey, this is terrible. Thanks for the new building. We love you. <laughs> we really do want your feedback, but say it nicely. All right? Promise? Promise? Okay, good. That'll be the consecration. Provision? Well, the campus is the provision. It's the tool that God has given us to reach the region. The name of the church went up on the building just this last week. So now everybody driving by knows that's a church. Obedience will come in the plans that I'm about to reveal to you that God has given us a strategy, a very clear strategy to saturate our region with the gospel. And then victory, victory looks like people finding abundant life in Jesus, the baptistry full of people giving their life to God and then following him after. I believe in the same way that God picked a place and a people from the very beginning, he's picked you. From the four corners of the earth to be in this place as we take that promised land together. And we're gonna see the victory of the Lord like we've never seen it in this region, never in this region.